As the historian Simon Sharma is quite fond of saying, the life of an historian is generally quite a relaxed one. You have long periods of time where not a lot changes and everything moves along and then occasionally you'll get those times when history smacks you full in the face with event after event after event and 1066 is one of those years. Everybody knows about the main battle of 1066, Battle of Hastings. Some people remember the second battle, or should I say the first, which is the Battle of Stamford Bridge. But very few people remember that there was one even before that, which is the Battle of Fulford Gate. And the thing you have to remember is that each of those battles feeds into each other, and they all lead towards what happens on that fateful day in October 1066. So today, myself and my colleague are just going to talk you through uh, those three battles and really try and get to grips with what's going on. I, I suppose the first place to start is a quick chat about this early medieval warfare. What, what are these guys carrying? What are we talking about here? Okay, so if, if we start off with the... With, we might as well do the English and the, and the Danes, the Vikings, together yeah. because they are very, very similar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't forget that... Anglo-Saxon England, large parts of it were actually um, either conquered or settled by or in constant contact with the Danes. Yeah. And there was, you know, there was a lot of exchange between those cultures. And they're both warrior cultures anyway. But the central thing which, which distinguishes them, the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings, is their, um, it's the, it's the fighting on foot as infantry and the use of the shield wall. Yeah. That's basically the main tactic that they have. Yeah. Massed infantry together hiding behind this wall which is almost impenetrable if it's yeah. a well-trained and well-oiled machine and they go at each other with axes spears is prob are probably the most common weapon that people would mm -hmm. use because you can put your spear through the holes in the shield wall yeah. um, but of course both sides have got elite troops as well yeah. the house carls being the most famous guys who fight with double-handed axes yeah Swinging them in a figure of eight, I think, is the sort of received yeah. wisdom of how these things are used. But of course, there are two-handed weapons, so these guys are vulnerable because mm -hmm. they can't have their shields as well. Um, and I think there's quite a lot of debate exactly how house cars were deployed yeah. on the battlefield, but they are the elite. And yeah. both sides have their own versions of yes. them. Yes, and you have the berserkers on, maybe, yes, with the, on the, the Viking side. Yeah. I, th I think it's, it's fair to point out that... When we're talking specifically about the battles in 1066, the Vikings that we're dealing with will be slightly more professional yes. than the English. Yeah. The English have a large number of conscripted peasants, mm. um, whereas the Vikings that are here are raiders. Yeah. That's So there is going to be a difference in the quality of the troops, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, As you say, the, the feared men, the, the men of the feared who have been called up by the Anglo-Saxon Earls, first at Fulford Gate and then obviously at Stamford Bridge and then yeah. again... At Hastings, they are just people like us. They are, they're farmers, they're workers, yeah. and they are conscripted into the army. So the the house cars for the English are their, their professional soldiers. Yeah. Um, they are the I suppose they're the equivalent of what most of the Viking soldiers would be like because as you say, they are professionals. These guys, yeah. they spend most of their time, raiding. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. You're not a Viking unless you go Viking, unless yeah. you go raiding. And I, I suppose then that the obvious link is to the 
Normans who take the idea of professionalism to the next level here. Yeah. Where you have your very well trained knights on horseback, often with more than one horse per night. Yeah. Uh, so that they can charge and then rest and keep going. You have them trained in groups of ten, the Conroy. You have the Gonfanon system. And of course, you have the mercenaries, which we've discussed before in one of the yeah. previous podcasts. And, and don't forget as well that they still have their what you call a feudal levy as well because what yeah. William is able to do is he doesn't just bring Normans he doesn't just bring mercenaries but he also brings people from Brittany who he's kind of forced into coming with yeah. him uh, there's people from Maine and Andrew as well which are areas which are close to Normandy yeah. people which are under his kind of sphere of influence and the people in these areas they owe him allegiance and mm. I think especially in the, in the case of the Bretons a lot of these people are forced to come with William yeah um, I think he maybe took hostages as well to ensure they're on the battlefield, which is a fairly standard Norman yeah, tactic. Exactly, and yeah. of course they've. Let's not forget archers. You know, one yes. thing that the that the Normans, it's not just the cavalry; it's mm. their use of archery. Yes, well, absolutely. Which, which separates them from yeah. the way the Vikings. The, and the, the Vikings and the Danes have javelins, and mm. they have the occasional slinger. Who, who fires little stones out of his slings and you could throw your spear but of course once you've done that you're unarmed yeah. whereas an archer can just keep going alright lovely so that's that's the basic thing the basic overview so Fulford Gate then 20th September 1066 and Fulford for those of you who don't know is just to the south of York and it's reached through the Humber uh, the Humber Estuary, and up the River Humber, and then through the River Ouse. And this is the first major attack, really, isn't it? Yes. By Harold Hadrada in his invasion. Yeah. Um, and I suppose we could start off by saying, you know, he's, he's come to Yorkshire on purpose, because it's yes. an area that not only do the Vikings know well, but it's also an area where he, he feels comfortable and he could potentially get yes. support as well. Yeah. Um, and he has a local guide, of course. He has Tostig yes. here to help him, who was Earl of Northumbria for a, a short period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these guys, they arrived, they're fresh. There's around 7,000 Viking soldiers in all. Um, they land unopposed. They sail up the Humber, as you say. Yeah. And they um, basically make their way towards York. Uh, at this point, it's just worth re-emphasising the importance of York. Yeah. York is the key to the north. If you take York, you control the north. You control the Great North Road and all trade that comes into that area. Um, uh, I suppose here we, we, we have to introduce two of our supporting characters, if this is a movie, yep. who are going to be here for the next 20 years, mm -hmm. aren't they? Yeah. So do you want to tell us about the two brothers? Okay, so the... The current sort of rulers, if you like, the earls in the north, the northern earls, are Edwin and Morcar. They're very powerful men. They have um, a loyal following of soldiers, armed men, and um, they are given the responsibility of defending York. They are the first opposition that the Vikings are going to meet once they've landed in England. Um, now... Obviously, we can never know for sure exactly how many men they had, but... I, I just want to interject here, one of my yeah. favourite things about medieval yeah. scribes and medieval yeah. sources is their habit of exaggerating the numbers of anybody in a yeah. battle by a factor of about 100. There were 15 million yeah. men marching down. No, yeah. there weren't. No, no. no. But, the, 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 I mean, the, the bottom line is they were not commanding a royal army. They were, no. they were commanding their own personal troops. Yeah. And of course, their their levies that they, they feared me. Yeah. So there was somewhere in the region of three and a half thousand, 
around there, but they were outnumbered if the Viking, the entire Viking force, had have been there. Mm. But of course, that's not what happens at the start. And this, of this, this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the Vikings don't tend to fight as a single. They they fight almost like disparate teams. Mm who sort of come together to do big things and then go away again. You, you very much get the feeling that because they're so used to raiding and raiding parties, they kind of work in a ship team, don't they? Yeah. Like a squad. But it'd be and natural, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you've come across, you know, in this in this boat and you've, you know, you've yeah. rowed with these men, you've, you've, you've raided with these men, yeah, yeah. You, you will be. And so what happens here at Fulford Gate is we get the Vikings sort of dribbling in, don't we? Yeah. Bit by bit by bit. Yeah. And the English, they, they, they choose quite a good defensive position because mm-hmm. they line their troops up on one side of, of the of the Fulford, or the, I think it, it means the foul ford, or like yeah. the muddy ford um, of this uh, stretch of water, which apparently, no one knows exactly where it was, but apparently it was semi-tidal as well. So at times it would be, the water level would be significantly higher yeah. than it was when the battle actually started. Or um, no, I think it was higher when the battle started, and as yeah. the as the uh, more and more Vikings arrived, the tide was going out. I think so. More of them were so able more to come, were able across, to come yeah. across, and uh, so this battle was fought initially with the English outnumbering the Vikings, mm. holding this defensive position. The Vikings are unable to break through, so the English are looking quite good at this point. Edwin and yeah. Morcar are very confident. They tell the Vikings to basically go home. They're not going to have any tribute from them, but that confidence is misplaced. Because as the day wears on and the, the water level drops and more and more Vikings arrive, mm. it becomes obvious that the English have bitten off more than they yeah. can chew. And they're not only outnumbered, but there's also that, that quality difference yes. there as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, that certainly starts to show. They're crafty warriors. Yeah. Allow groups through their shield wall, yeah. take them out behind the shield wall, yeah. close it back up again. Far too wily yeah. for a feared man. Mm. A peasant soldier. Again, yes, it's also experience. What battles mm. have Edwin and Morcar been in, apart yeah. from a few skirmishes against Tostig ten yeah. years ago? Um, so, the outcome is fairly set, pretty pretty quickly on, really. Yeah. Um, both sides take some losses, but the English very much take the worst yeah. of it. And the Northern Army, those thousands of men that could have become very valuable yes. in later battles, they're scattered, people are killed... Um, and the North is disorganised, it's lost. Yeah. And as is going to become a, a recurrent theme throughout the next two decades, Edwin and Morcar do a runner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's, that's a phrase you're going to hear a lot. So, word is sent down south, mm-hmm. and it reaches uh, King Harold Godwinson, who is basically told, your brand new kingdom is under attack, from yeah. Harold Hadrada and your brother. Um, worth pointing out, Harold Hadrada's reputation he is the hard raider the land waster and the raven feeder mm. these are all names yeah, to strike wonderful fear. names yeah um he, he this is a man who leaves waste and corpses behind him wherever he goes yeah. he is a fairly serious threat and he's just proved it but harold is no pushover himself Absolutely. he's a very experienced warrior as soon as he hears the news yeah he gathers his private army again together and he marches straight for the north. And my word, what a yeah. what a phenomenal piece of work that is. 190 miles in yeah. four days, gathering That's... soldiers all the way. So, yeah. you know, they, they would have been sending out messengers in front yeah. of the army, bring your men, bring your weapons, meet yeah. me on this road and to this the is, north. And this is by foot, carrying your equipment, mm. carrying your mail shirt, your weapons... 
eating presumably whatever's being foraged along the way because there hasn't been time to supply the army no. um, in October. So it's going to be wet, boggy. There's no roads to speak of of the sort that we're used to. I, mm. They they travel up what's left of the Great North Road, which yes. is what's left of the old Roman <clears throat> road. So there's some areas which are semi-paved, but it's still hard going. Yeah. And it is. It's an incredible achievement to get that far in such a short space of time. And it's so incredible that the Vikings are mm. completely and utterly taken by surprise. Absolutely. Hardrada and his men are camped on both sides of the river. Yeah. They're not expecting to see the English army Not approach. At all. What they actually were expecting was hostages and tribute to arrive from York. Because now they've now they've mm. fought their battle and conquered this area, they've settled down to what the Vikings actually do, which is pillaging, yeah. nicking stuff. That's what they're there for. They're there for the loot. Yeah. And um, with, with the loot in mind as well, this is one of the mistakes which is made by the Vikings. Um, while some of the Viking force are at the boats, mm. guarding the boats, the ones which are in the vicinity of Stanford Bridge, many of them are not armoured because mm-hmm. they've been told to leave their armour because it weighs so much mm-hmm. so they can therefore carry, carry more, more of yeah. the loot and the booty back to their ships. Yeah. So you have to imagine that there's this this Viking army which is scattered around in small groups, having fun, they're mm. probably drinking as well, <laughs> and yeah. they're not properly armed, they're not expecting... A fight. They're expecting no. gold and slaves. Yeah. This is going to be an easy day. I think that the there's a story about the Battle of Stamford Bridge about the bridge. Mm. Yeah. And the the very famous story of a Viking berserker standing on the bridge who holds it until the English come up with the tactic of sticking somebody in a barrel, sailing them under the bridge, mm. and stabbing the Viking <clears throat> berserker yeah. in, in the, ooh, my word, misses. Yeah. He, I think one chronicler says he, he pierced him terribly inwards. Which is a very good description. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be terribly, terribly inwards. Um, but the... I think that the problem with that story is that everybody fixates on it and they fixate on the bridge and they mm. forget the river because the river yeah. is really the key thing. The fact that Hadrada's forces are separated. Yeah. And that's what solves the day, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, lots of them are killed, mm. injured, mown down, if you like, before they can cross the bridge and form that strong defensive yeah. shield wall that they're adepts at using. Yeah. And... The the thing that really spells the end of any sort of threat here is the death of both Tostig yep. and Hadrada himself. Yeah. And there's that wonderful image from one of the chroniclers that Hadrada's actually the first to fall and Tostig picks up the raven banner and he tries to rally the yeah. uh, the Vikings and then he's cut down himself. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at Stanford Bridge, it's, again, you know, so difficult to know exactly what happened, but Stamford Bridge has been romanticised, hasn't it? Yeah. In so many ways. So you've got the swordsman on the bridge, yeah. the blown Viking, you've got Tostig trying to rally the troops. Yeah. There's apparently, there was the, the the deal that they tried to make before the battle started where uh, Godwinson met with Hardrada and, yeah. and, his, and his brother. Let's not forget that, because yeah. it's oh, such yeah, an yeah. amazing story. And, um, and I think the story was that, that Godwinson offered... Tostig, like he's held him back, he offered him land in, in mm. England and he offered Hardrada six feet of English earth. <laughs> and whether that's true or not, yeah. who knows? But it's a wonderful story. And, and part of that, I think, is yeah. you, you can see why, because it's very important, I think, for the English 
to be able to romanticise yes. something about 1066 yeah. to claim a victory and say it wasn't just the year we were beaten. That's right. Um, and on that day, they do win. Out of the 300 ships that apparently brought that Viking oh, yeah. force to England, only 24 were needed to carry yeah. the survivors back. So it was an overwhelming victory. Oh, it's a slaughter. Yeah. It is. And um, we, we don't know how many losses Harold took, but they don't seem to have been catastrophic. He seems to have done all right out of it. But his men must have been tired. They must have been well, exhausted. You march nearly 200 miles in four days, you yeah. have one night's rest, and then yeah. you fight a battle against one of the most fearsome warriors and one of the most fearsome warrior races yeah. in medieval Europe. It must have taken a lot out. The English army, and then with them being English, one assumes that that night mm. there's going to be a certain amount of, shall we say, carousing yes. going on, which probably means that their heads were a little thick when the word arrived <laughs> yeah. that there was another problem. Yeah, just three days later, uh, William had landed on the yeah. south coast of England, and Harold Godwinson, who had spent most of the summer guarding that coast mm. with his fresh. Yeah. And the well-prepared army is now 200 miles away yeah, and exhausted. And so he marches south. And this, this comes to one of those, those catastrophic errors in history that you point yeah. at. And I suppose it's worth us having a little bit of a chat yeah. and trying to figure it out. Without a doubt. He has the opportunity mm. to wait and gather somewhere in the region. And again, and there's the problem with medieval chroniclers and numbers, yeah. but he has the opportunity to wait and gather 30,000 reinforcements yeah and he doesn't i mean that that figure is you know it's based on what we know um the various earls and thanes and so on could supply harold Hmm. if they had maximized that potential force and yeah he could have done i mean he, he he had the opportunity to wait in london as well i mean he obviously had to march back down south to to tackle william but he could have stayed in London. London was an incredibly well defended yeah. city. Uh, you know, you got the Thames in front of it, barring the Normans' advance. He just had to wait, and they could have gathered thousands of men. Because we're only talking about seven and a half thousand, eight thousand maximum on yeah. on on this invading force. Yeah. It was a ridiculous decision with hindsight. Yeah, I think everybody can say that. But there was a reason why he he marched down south, wasn't there? Yes. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. The first one being that William is starting to attack and capture uh, various villages around here, um, which he's able to fortify. That's the first thing. So he's already got his flat pack castles built. Yep. He's now establishing a defensive perimeter, which will make it trickier. But then there's the provocation side of it, isn't and, it? Yeah, and I think this is probably what's really down motivated Harold to yeah. get there. Down south is Godwin land. Mm. This is the earldom where the Godwins have held sway for a hundred years, yeah, if not a little longer. Yeah, and this is an attack deep into the land of the people. Look to Harold to support them, yeah. and it is basically uh, the image is William is standing there and he's saying, "Come and have a go." Yeah, if you think you're hard enough. I mean, yeah, I mean, in 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 an era where you know your the loyalty that you command from people is based on your ability to protect them yes, and to yes. provide for them. Yes, it is he, very much personal leadership. Yeah, that's exactly what it yeah. is. You know, and to have William gallivanting around yeah. your house, smashing your things up. Yeah, that's why he yeah. he doesn't wait. And there's also, I think, that slight sense of 
confident, overconfident yeah, maybe. I think so too. I've just defeated Harold Hadrada, yeah. the, the land waster and the raven feeder. Yeah. You, William the Bastard, are not going to be a problem. Yeah, this is going to be difficult. Yeah. Because so, all he had to do really, he just has to hold mm-hmm. William where he is. That's it. Because uh, William, you know, he's an incredibly bold man. He actually burnt his ships. Yes. You know, he destroyed the way home. Mm-hmm. So he said, to, he was saying to his men, you know, you stay here and you fight. Yeah. And you win or you die. It's as simple as that. So, you know, Harold, he didn't have to rush. The no. Normans were not going anywhere. No. They were bottled up in a small corner of England. Absolutely. Um, separated from their homelands. Yes. It was, it's that no. provocation, like yes. you say. It's, yeah. it, he know, William knows what he's doing. So, that brings us to... Um, well, we've, we've talked about the makeup of the two armies... Yeah. So we can picture them quite easily on Senlac Ridge. This this hill that blocks the road to London. So up on the top here, we've got Harold under the dragon banner of Wessex. The last time it ever flies mm. in England, if you want a little bit of romanticism for oh, you. Yeah. And they're lined up, there, lined up there on the top. And then down at the bottom, you've got the Normans forming up in their divisions. Yes. And there's that lovely little image, isn't it, of what the two sides are doing that says something about them. I know yeah. you like this, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it, 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 it illustrates perfectly the different, really, attitudes yeah. to warfare, doesn't it? The Normans are singing psalms mm. and praying, looking to their God to give them victory. Yeah. And the English are being English. <laughs> <laughs> Banging their swords on their shields and shouting yeah. out, 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 yeah. yeah. Bravado. Yeah. Um, probably some drinking involved as well. Yeah. I would have thought that, you know, the the state of the English army would have been pretty ragtag by this point as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it does, it says a lot about yeah. the different attitudes of these two uh, opposing forces. Conventional military wisdom has always held that you want to take the high ground, yep. if you can. Yes. So why then does William, who has arrived at this area, and he's 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 planned this battle, yep. he's looked at this ground, why does he allow Harold to have the high ground? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it shows you how what a great military tactician he is. He's second-guessed Harold already. He knows by leaving that area free, he knows that's exactly where... Harold is going to plonk himself. So he's going to fix his enemy to the terrain. They're not going anywhere. That's where we are attacking. Yeah. But the bottom of this hill, the area around, gives him the opportunity to manoeuvre. Mm. You know, the English are hemmed in. Yes. By, um, you know, on this hill, but there's forest land, there's boggy areas, marshland. Yeah. The Normans are able to utilise all that wonderful training. Mm. They're able to use their cavalry properly. They've got a nice open space to move from one part of the battlefield to another. Move the archers from the front to the back. Yes. Which is what it does as yeah. well, you know. It's, he's used it. He's used the land. He's playing to his strengths. And his strengths, of course, include a, a lot of previous experience. I mean, they're both, they're both well-trained. Yeah. But I think that we can't overestimate the experience and training of the, the Norman forces here. Yeah. And that's, that's going to come into play. A couple of times, I mean, this the, the idea of the feigned retreat and all the other bits and pieces, you do see during the course of the battle, don't you, that there's a sense that Harold's not quite in control of yeah. his men. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think there's, there's an issue with morale as well. Mm. Because, I, I mean, the, all right, yeah, the English have beaten Hardrada, but their forces have been weakened by desertions. Don't forget, this is yeah. harvest time. Yeah. You know, these men want to go home and bring in their crops and so they can feed their families. Yeah. They've also spent all summer waiting for this guy, William, yeah. to arrive and he hasn't turned up. And then at the last and worst possible moment, mm. he turns up. Whereas the Normans, you know, let's not forget, not only have they got their training, but they've got this religious conviction, haven't they? They've got yes. the papal banner. Yeah. It's a holy war. It's a holy war. And that, in the Middle Ages, is about the pinnacle of motivation. Yeah. You're doing this for God. Mm. And if you die today, you go to paradise. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, I think, this the this a military idea of command and control. Yeah. Uh, William's on horseback. Mm-hmm. He's got his guys with him who can send out these gonfanon signals with the, with the flags. And Harold chooses not to fight on horseback. He chooses to fight yeah. uh, on the ground with his men up at the top, yeah. which significantly reduces his ability to see what's happening on the battlefield. Yeah, he yeah, he, he basically he, he roots himself in one place. And, you, you know, there's a reason why he does it. Yeah. It, it's that personal kind of leadership yeah. again, isn't there's it? There's my banner. This is where yeah. I stand. I will, I'm in this with you. Which is interesting mm. if you think about it because it does... It's the same as with Hadrada, yeah. isn't it? At it Stanford is, yeah. Bridge. Here I am, here, come and get me. Whereas William, as we as we actually see, vanishes into sort of like the mass of his men on the charges, hence why they think he's dead at one point and yeah. no one's quite sure where he is. It, it, shall we talk about the feigned retreat at this point, do you think? Is that um well yeah, I mean it, Or shall we shall we talk about the early stages of the Well battle? we could I mean we could just do it, I suppose, in chronological order yeah. because they start off, don't they, with their with their archery because yeah. you know the the Normans they 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 don't want to risk the lives of their men. That's right. Let the arrows do the talking, but he miscalculates, doesn't he? Mm. Um, He's got them too far forward. Yeah. And then when you're firing uphill, it means they're having difficulty getting over that shield wall, yeah. which is what the English have formed at the front. Again, that that big uh, impenetrable wall of wooden yeah. shields overlapping to the height of about six feet yeah it's covering entire men and, and yeah. maybe even the first row have got them over their heads as yeah. well you know so yeah the, the, the arrows that the, the archery is ineffective because he's, he's he's put them too close yeah um and then he changes using the the gone fanon and this yeah. system of flags he changes the actual positions of his men on yeah. the battlefields which so, means that he then charges with the cavalry the cavalry yeah. is the next step and just the it it's very difficult for people to imagine if you've never ridden a horse or if you've never come face to face with a horse and you don't really get to grips with how big they are and how scary especially when you're dealing with a trained war horse which will kick which will bite which will run over you yeah. if you stand in the way the and the charge of 2000 norman knights is is going to be thunderous yeah the ground will shake yeah um but despite that they can't break through no, you know the shield right. wall is just too strong yeah so you know the, the morning of the battle goes well for the english they yeah. that they, they're doing what they need to do which is hold that hill yes and not let the normans through but then comes this very controversial mm. tactic this feigned retreat yeah was it uh, intentional manoeuvre or was it something which happened genuinely they were scared it was a break. And they were running yeah. away but then William through his his leadership and his and his yeah. um, his military 
genius, if you like, he's able to turn it to his advantage. Uh, at the risk of starting to sound like I've got a man crush on William, the yeah. size of Odric Vitalis is, <laughs> I tend to believe that it's the second one. Yeah. That that he uh, again it, is it overly romanticized i don't know but i do tend to believe that he was mm. lost they thought he was <clears throat> they thought he was dead yeah. and then they start to run and he rallies them and at that moment sees the opportunity mm. when the british start to break yeah and you know and let's not forget as well that they do this not just once <laughs> not just twice they do it all the you know for the whole the rest of the battle they employ this same tactic three, three times it works like a charm which is absolutely staggering yeah and that I that to me speaks towards that lack of control yeah. by Harold yeah because he should have been able to hold his men back certainly after the second time if not yeah. the first and and I think as well when it first happens it happens on the wings of his army yes, it doesn't does, it yeah. because it's as far away from Harold as you can get yeah. And I know that he he's got his um, his brothers are actually on the battlefield with him, yeah. commanding the two wings of the English army, but they're not able to hold them back. I suppose a lot of it is is the untrained feared men yes. as well. Yeah, it's very much the the, the house girls in the centre. Yeah, aren't going to fall for this. No. So then we reach lunchtime, where yeah. they take a lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> clear uh, up the wounded. Yeah, to clear up the wounded, and this is of course when uh, William really starts his rearranging yeah, here. That's right, and he pulls the archers back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that then really changes. I think the the, the afternoon's got a very definite rhythm to it, hasn't it? Yeah. It's got storm of arrows, cavalry charge. Yeah. storm of arrows, cavalry charge. Yeah. He's wearing them down. Yeah, it's, it's it's attrition now. Yeah, he knows the English aren't going anywhere. Um, he knows that. All he has to do is stand back, mm. and he's got the range now with his archers. Because yeah. he's pulled them back, they're able to fire up and over yeah. the shield wall. So all the guys who are behind that shield wall, are, yeah. the arrows are raining down on their heads. Um, so, yeah, and it, and it thins the English lines, and it causes panic. Mm. Well, this is, this is one of the moments where training and professionalism is going to come into it. Mm. Because you have to think, it's been all day. Yeah. And you've been frightened. You've had people trying to kill you. Mm. You are having to be alert. You're in a scent. You're in a, a state of stress, and you can't maintain that for that long no. without no. starting to, unless you are trained for it. Yeah. And the Norman knights are trained for yeah. it, and, and the, the mercenaries are used to it. Yeah. And the English. No. I mean, this is where desertions start happening. Yeah. The f- some of the fearmen start drifting away. Yeah. Leaving the battlefield, and this combination of this attack storm of arrows yeah. darkening the sky landing on their heads then this fearsome cavalry charge from all directions because you have yeah. to imagine now that as the English shield wall is getting smaller and smaller they're becoming yeah. a smaller more compact target yeah, they can start to get the flanks yes and, right yeah. and they can attack from the sides and I think at one point it's a, I don't know which chronicler it is but they talk about how the English were towards the end of the battle they were so tightly packed that the dead couldn't fall over you know mm. someone was struck in the head by an arrow they just stayed upright yeah. because they were so tightly packed in. But that would prevent them from swinging their axes That's or right, prevent yeah. them from being an effective And manoeuvring and being able to... Yeah. And then at some point, yep. Harold is killed. Yes. Whether it's the arrow in the eye, whether it's he's cut down off his horse and butchered. Um, yeah. All we do know is that his body is so badly mangled yes. that only his lover can identify it from birthmarks. Yeah, and tattoos, I think, yes. as well, on his chest. Yeah. So, 
it, it doesn't really matter how he does. You can pick whichever version you like. Yeah. To be honest, it's it's, it's not particularly relevant. No. To be, it's not. If, if you like the the imagery yeah. of the arrow in the eye, you go with that one. If yeah. you like the slightly more realistic thing that he's butchered by a bunch yeah. of knights, you go with that. He was dismembered and disemboweled. Yeah. That's probably what happened. To yeah. Be you would do make a point. Yeah. And if, as a little aside, that whole thing about the arrow in the eye. Yeah. I think they've they've pretty much conclusively determined that that was added later. Yes. It's, and it, it wasn't. It, the figure's the, yeah. got a spear. That's yeah, right. that's yeah, right. It's that's a spear, right. not an arrow. Yeah. Um, and of course, at that point. A bit like the Vikings at Stanford yeah. Bridge, if their leader gone, yeah. then any semblance of command basically disappears. disappears. Yeah. And what you end up having is the feared men running and Harold's royal house cars taking the king's dead body into the centre mm. and, and doing what good warriors did back then, which was fight to the death. Yeah. And I, in a sense, that fight to the death is a is a fairly major impact on what comes next because I'm fairly sure that one of the chroniclers says it's something like over half of the entire ruling class yeah. of England are destroyed. Is gone on that day. Yeah, and that that could have been a nucleus yeah. of resistance for the next two years, yeah. three years, uh, but they they stand and fight to the death and yeah. they're, they're slaughtered. And if, I mean, you know. There are some English earls still left. Because we mustn't forget our friends Edwin and Morcar. Who are still out there. Yeah. And again, there's Edgar and yeah. there's uh, Wealthy off and people like that that we're going to come yeah. across later on. But but this, you're right, that defeat at Hastings, it, it is the, it's the English elite are gone. Mm. And any real opposition, maybe it was doomed from the start. There was just not the leadership there. Mm. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting what-ifs we could talk about, which will just confuse the issue, yeah. I think. It's, it, so, yeah. I, I think the most interesting thing you can do is to look at those three battles mm-hmm. and think about how they're different, how they're similar yeah. and how they're different. And and how, especially the early ones, have the impact Absolutely. for the late. Yeah. Because obviously, Fulford and Stanford Bridge, they... Uh, they play into William's hands, don't of course they? they yeah, and yeah. and it's, it's if if Edwin and Morcar had defeated Hadrada at Fulford Gate, Stamford Bridge would have happened. Harold would have been down south, yeah. and the moment William arrived, he'd have been kicked back into the sea. Yeah. The history would have been completely different. Yeah. So don't forget Fulford Gate. Yeah, <laughs> Fulford Gate is just as important as the yeah. others, but for different reasons. And don't forget the burning of Scarborough as well. That's that's one just to throw in there as well, because it's worth mentioning, seeing as that's where you live. Well, thank you very much for listening, and good luck with your exams. <laughs>